Hello, and welcome to the Groovy Writer Podcast, where we explore how to find your writing groove, regardless of your circumstances. I'm your host, author and MFA instructor, Nicole McGinnis. Hey, writers, welcome back to the podcast. So in the last episode, which was episode three, I talked a lot about writers and shame. If you haven't listened to it yet, it's no big deal, but you might want to check it out just for some background information about the particular kind of shame writers can feel, especially after rejection. And writers and rejection, unfortunately, tend to go together like peanut butter and chocolate, peanut butter and jelly, peanut butter and bananas. Wow. I don't even know where that came from, but apparently I have peanut butter on the brain. And this kind of shame can be extremely detrimental, if not, frankly, kind of deadly, to use to use a really dramatic term to a writer's entire groove. So I talk about that in episode three. It's called Writers and Shame. And as I mentioned, both shame and the specific kind of disillusionment that so often accompanies it can actually cause some writers, like I said, can deal sort of a deadly blow. It can cause them to stop writing altogether. And another thing I mentioned, I'm just doing a quick recap here about this particular shame is it can actually be sort of difficult to identify at first. Even when we do identify it, we often don't want to talk about it. Hence the last episode and leading into this episode, which I've titled Getting Back on the Horse, because I wanted to present a counterpoint to what I had presented in episode three. I wanted to really cover the basics of that shame that can often arise from rejection and then to answer the question, so where do I go from here? But first, a story. When I was 12 and 13 years old, I lived in Northern California. This is the early 1980s. And I had sponsored a wonderful little horse. We called it sponsoring back then. It, it, I think it's called leasing now. It basically means you don't own the horse, but you take care of the horse, you ride the horse, you groom the horse, whatever you work out with the owner, and you basically pay the owner to do that. So it's kind of a sweet deal. Her name was Sugar, and she was an elderly Appaloosa mare who had moon blindness in one eye. So you had to be very careful to, to make sure she could see everything from her other eye because she really couldn't see out of one. And it was all cloudy and it has that a certain look. It really does look like a moon. So she had that and I had to put medication in it and all that. And she was very stubborn. Some say this is a trait of Appaloosas in general. But she was very stubborn. She was very smart. And she was not going to do anything she didn't want to do without very good reason. So it was up to me, this kid, to figure out how could I get her to trot where I wanted her to trot or to stop when I wanted her to stop or to canter, you know, just basically do anything she didn't want to do. And long story short, the time I spent with that mare, um, and I ended up actually, my parents ended up, I think, paying $100 to buy her for me. It was, again, not a, not a high dollar show horse. There was nothing fancy involved. And we were able to um, 
board her in basically someone's big backyard. They had a little barn, they had a paddock, and that's basically where she stayed. The time that I spent with her taught me so much about just everything, just about life, but it basically taught me everything I I knew later on as an adult. I, I, I have been involved with horses for about 30 years, up until very recently when I sadly lost my last elderly gelding. But, but for the rest of the, the roughly three decades that I spent in some capacity with horses, that mare taught me basically everything I knew. And that whole relationship that lasted about two years was born of just an absolute utter passion I had as just a, I can't even remember how old I was. I was so young when I first fell in love with horses. So I had this passion. It was a drive to be with horses, to learn about horses, to ride horses, to muck out stalls, to do whatever I could to be around horses. Okay. This will tie into the riding, I promise. So when I was 13, I used to ride, I I keep backtracking because I, I realize I'm not quite telling the story in a linear fashion, but some of this information is necessary. I used to ride her around her paddock. It had kind of a long run There were actually two paddocks that were connected, but we opened it up and it had kind of this long run between them. And I would get on this horse after I had kind of figured her out and she had kind of figured me out and we really had a a great communication. And I would not have a bridle on her. I would not have a saddle on her. This is kind of trendy now in the horse world. People like to do sort of freestyle stuff and it's it's pretty cool. But I was just a kid and I would just trot her, canter her, whatever, in that run between the paddocks. So one day, um, my friend and I were hanging out. I think it was after school. Maybe it was on a weekend, but I think it was after school. We were hanging out, and I was on sugar, and my friend was sitting on the fence, and I was laughing. We were joking about stuff, probably talking about boys. You know, we're in junior high, eighth grade at this point. And I run sugar down to one end of the paddock, and then I'm running at work. She's running back. And again, I'm not even holding onto her mane. I'm just nothing. I'm just sitting on that horse. And I'm sure I was trying to channel Alec from the Black Stallion as he's galloping the black along that beach. Pretty sure that's probably what was in my head. Sugar didn't do anything wrong, but there was a buried boulder in the pasture that had been there forever. Everyone was aware of it. You knew not to trip over it, et cetera. But for some reason, I just spaced it out. I think I was laughing with my friend, not paying attention, and she swerved to avoid the boulder. And I knew I was falling. And I remember the look of utter horror on my friend's face. As, and I just thought, no big deal. And I started to fall and I stuck my left arm out to break my fall. From on t- and this, she wasn't a super tall horse. She was maybe 15 hands, but not a pony. So I stuck my arm out to break my fall on this hard packed dirt. And you can guess what happened next. I ended up with, first I'll say I landed and kind of the sugar got out of the way, but stopped immediately because she knew that that wasn't good. I looked up at my friend whose face had now gone completely sheet white and looked like she was about to pass out. And I thought, what's she, what's wrong with her? And then I looked down at my arm, which I won't get too graphic here, but suffice it to say, it did not resemble a straight arm in any way, shape or form. I had, as it turned out, a massive compound fracture you could see things you weren't supposed to see when you look at an arm. Again, I don't want to gross anyone out. That's not why you're here. There are lots of great horror podcasts all over the web. This is not one of them, intentionally. Long story short, I had to get a cast for that summer. My arm was, there was a lot of pain. The arm had to be reset. It was not pretty. It was not gentle. You know, I'm in the ER with a doctor who 
I barely remember it. All I remember is thinking I was going to die. The pain was so intense and it was really an awful, traumatizing, horrendous experience. And I couldn't ride. You know, I'm in this major arm cast that went all the way up to toward my shoulder. Arm was bent, so I couldn't ride. I think I still did. I have pictures of me in an ACDC t-shirt holding sugar in the backyard. And I'm pretty sure I didn't lead her there from her paddock. I think I rode anyway, but I really wasn't supposed to. Um, I stopped riding and I was starting high school in the fall. And in my head, I remember thinking, you know, it's going to be really busy. High school is going to be a thing. I, I, um, I, I need to focus on other things. So sugar was sold to um, a friend of the family and I never saw her again. And I went to high school and I had some friends who were horsey. Every once in a while, I would have this pang. I'd see pictures of them or they'd talk about a show they had done. I had one friend who did competitions. And I remember just, I felt this combination of longing and sadness and I kind of squashed it down. Yet again, it's turning into a very personal anecdote, but it's one of the reasons I wanted to do this episode and to continue on with the last episode where I also got a little bit personal, but it's just a personal topic, the topic of shame. And I think what I felt was a certain shame. Okay. I felt that I had walked away from something I loved dearly because I was really scared. That accident really hurt. And it wasn't the horse's fault. She didn't do anything wrong. It was, it was something happened. A situation happened. I got hurt and I did not get back on that horse. Like I said, I might've actually gotten back on her, but not in a permanent sense, not in a long-term sense. So that is why I wanted to title this episode, Getting Back on the Horse, because I know for a fact, rejection is painful for writers painful for everyone, I think. It's a human thing. But specifically for writers, we put our heart and our soul and our energy into our work. And if we are writers who also want to see publication, whether it's sending short stories out to a quarterly or trying to get our novel published or a poetry chapbook in a contest, whatever it might be, when we get feedback that is essentially a rejection this is not right for us at this time. Keep writing. Send us your next thing. When something is essentially a rejection, it strikes to the heart of something we love. It strikes to our, our own heart. It strikes to the core of really who we are. So we have to, I think, if we intend to have any sort of a long-term life of writing, writing career, anything. We, it, we want to continue pursuing, not just writing, but getting our writing out to a readership in whatever form that might take. It doesn't always mean traditional publication, as we know. These days, the sky's really the limit for doing that, but often it's traditional publication. If we're going to do that, we have to, A, understand that there's a very high likelihood that rejection will be part of that process at some point, potentially at many points. So we have to ask ourselves, what are we going to do when we experience that, that rejection and the shame that can often follow? Sometimes as writers, when we experience a rejection, we, especially the kind that causes us to feel shame, we can start to think we've done something wrong. My writing isn't as good as I thought it was. Again, I cover this in episode three. 
you know, I submitted to the wrong journal, etc. Here's an interesting definition of the word shame that appears if you just Google the word shame. A feeling of guilt, regret, or sadness that you have because you know you have done something wrong. Dishonor or disgrace. And I think as writers, when we experience that, we can have that sense of dishonor or disgrace. And we, it can be compounded when we decide we're going to give up writing. I think sometimes not only do we feel shame after rejection, not only do we feel that we've done something wrong, but that can, again, strike so acutely at our core, at our heart, that we can almost have the feeling that we are something wrong. Again, I'm so foolish to think I could ever become a published writer in the first place. I kind of just don't have what it takes. It's especially this scenario that I propose causes some writers to give up writing altogether. And as I mentioned at the end of that last episode, that's not an option for a groovy writer. You got to find your groove. You got to push through it. You got to fight through it. Anyone who reads self-help books or listens to self-help podcasts or watches videos, there's, there's so much out there, has heard some variation of that comparison of guilt and shame. Guilt is the feeling that we have done something wrong. Shame is the feeling that we are something wrong. So what do we do about it? You know, I'm saying you got to get back on that horse. You got to keep writing. You, you need to really stick with it if you're going to have a sustainable writing life. Well, what do we do when this shame, this guilt, this rejection threatens to stop us from pursuing our writing goals altogether? So the good news to wrap up my story about sugar is after high school, I did go through pretty much all of high school without riding horses. And I kept thinking, ah, it'll, it'll go away. It'll go away. It'll get better. It'll get better. Then I got to college and something my freshman year, my undergraduate year, when I truly did not have money and really no business doing this, that horse crazy little girl within reared her head, ah, reared, see what I did there. And I started working at a nearby ranch in, in times when I wasn't studying and wasn't also working at a part-time, couple part-time jobs I had. And I started mucking and, and helping with the horses and eventually giving riding lessons to little kids. And that was the re my re-entry into the world of horses. I found my, um, my gelding Zari. He was just a three-year-old. And unfortunately, I lost him about two years ago. And he was 33 years old. So Zari was in my life for 30 years. But I was open to reconnecting with my passion for horses. And that ended up spanning three decades. And I believe very strongly, in fact, I know that writers can do the same. So even if you have stopped writing, even if, or, or have, maybe you're still dabbling in writing, maybe you've stopped submitting your work to journals, maybe you've stopped querying agents because frankly, it just became too much. That doesn't mean it's permanent. You can get back to it. You do have to take the step of, of turning it around and getting back to it. And I do think it's important to acknowledge that writers, by and large, we tend to be a bit of a sensitive subgroup of humanity. I don't use that term as an insult in any way, shape, or form. Um, but in, in order to observe the world around us and create stories, poems, essays that resonate with our fellow humans, let's face it, a certain amount of sensitivity is required. 
And I have come to, at my age now, at 50, I have come to consider my sensitivity to be a great gift. It doesn't mean it's without its downsides. And one of these downsides can tend to be how I and how many writers I know deal with rejection and all of that, that, that ball of gunk, that shame that, that can also accompany it. It's very easy to have a bad reaction to that. What I will say is at my age now and dealing with what I've dealt with in the publishing world, in the writing world, I see much, much more clearly uh, when that's coming, when I'm, I'm starting to withdraw into my shell a little bit, when I'm thinking, maybe I don't want to do this so much. And the problem with that, of course, when we withdraw into our shelves, you know, we tend to really keep a sharp eye out for anything that's going to cause us any kind of rejection, and we vow to avoid it. For a writer who is intent on having a sustainable writing life and getting into a sustainable writing groove, not an option right? It's not a winning strategy to just retreat into your shell and stop writing for any writer who dreams of connecting with a readership. The contract is you want to connect with a readership. Great. You have to accept that your writing won't instantly necessarily be adored. If it is, that's fantastic. I would venture to say that for many writers, that's not the case. You need to know that you have to take that risk to put your work out there for the world to see. So we have to, as I mentioned in that last episode, we have to drag the nastiness into the sunlight, the best disinfectant, who knows, but we have to drag it into the sunlight rather than shoving it down into those deepest, darkest recesses of our psyche thinking, you know what, it, it's going to just go away. I won't be interested in writing. I'm going to focus on other things. I'm too busy anyway. Because remember, that's what I did when I was 13, fell off that horse, got badly hurt, but nothing that wouldn't heal. But I got scared, and it scared me away. And that was four, four years that I didn't have really anything to do with horses. And then the passion reemerged, as I think passions do, the things that we love, the things that, that really define who we are. And often we can look back to our childhoods and think, wow, you know, I've always loved this thing. I've always loved this hobby or this pursuit or this sport, whatever it might be. They tend to come up again. But we can, we can shut them down. But I think when we don't, as writers, that can be really scary. But it's so, so important. So let's say we've been hurt, not on a horse, but by an editor, by an agent, by a panel of contest people determining who's going to win a writing contest. So we get hurt. We get rejected. We drag that into the light. And then we can examine it. And... One of the very last questions I ask at the end of that last episode, episode three, is I sort of challenge listeners to ask themselves, have I ever felt shame related to my writing? And if so, how did I handle it? Was my reaction helpful to my writing moving forward? Or am I now listening to this podcast realizing I haven't written in three years, for example? On top of those questions, there are some other ones we can ask ourselves. There are actually many, but I came up with a few that I think might be helpful. As we are dragging that rejection, assuming it's gotten in the way of our writing, if it hasn't gotten in the way of your writing, great. If you're able to use your rejection to just get a little more stubborn and a little more salty about everything, which I highly recommend, by the way, I have learned to do this and it's, it's kind of great. You don't want to become a total contrarian. In my view, some people do, and that's fine. But I think if you can get a little salty and it can kind of give you a little attitude, like, who are you to say I 
I'm not going to get this story published or whatever. More power to you. But if you're struggling, if, if you're struggling with rejection, you're struggling with fear, you're struggling with really not wanting to put yourself out there because, oh, just going to get smacked down again and that's not fun. These might be some helpful questions to ask. So number one, am I equating my writing with my own self-worth? In other words, when my writing is rejected and I assume it's for not being good enough, do I somehow conflate that with me not being good enough? Because if I do, well, no wonder I'd stop writing. That's too painful. And that gets to the heart of separating ourselves from the writing enough to not take it so personally. When the writing is rejected, it's not the human that's being rejected. It's the writing that's being rejected. And it might just not be right for that editor or that agent. That's typically the case. And if it is a quality issue, well, the good news there is that is completely within our control. If we need to develop our skills further before submitting the story again or another story again, we can do that. We can take a class. We can join an MFA program. We can join a writer's group. So ask yourself, what can I do about this? If I am looking within and seeing that, hey, I'm actually, this rejection is so hard because I'm feeling rejected as a, on a basic human level. What can I do about this? How can I start to separate myself from the writing a little bit so that it's a healthier relationship I have with my writing? Question two, do I want to keep writing even though I now know that committing to this writer's life will sometimes bring rejection, maybe even pain, and maybe even that shame? Are those things a deal breaker for me? Or do I really want this? If the answer is yes, I really want this, and I, I don't look forward to any of the negative things, the unpleasant things that are going to come down the pike, but I really want to commit to finding my writing groove, to having a sustainable writing life. So then I think a good question to ask at that point is, okay, if the answer is yes, obviously if the answer is no, then you can just walk away, I guess. But I would be prepared for that to the writing to rear its head again at some point down the road, and you might be right back at square one. But if you do want to commit, regardless of the pitfalls of pursuing publication especially, a good question to ask might be, how can I best prepare myself for the somewhat inevitable rejection, disappointment, etc. And how can I protect the writing from that as well? Because it's okay to feel not great when a piece of writing gets rejected, especially one that you're very connected to, you've poured a lot of creative energy into and you're very proud of. It's normal and totally fine to not feel happy when it doesn't get off the ground when that little birdie doesn't fly. How can you sort of hedge against that? Question three, do I fully understand my motivation for becoming a writer in the first place? This can sound like a little bit of a harsh question, but I actually think it's a really important one to ask ourselves as writers because knowing the answer or maybe committing to learning the answer to this question can, I think, go a long way toward helping us learn from rejection and shame. So what do I mean by what was my, my motivation for becoming a writer? Did I become a writer because, for example, I was so moved by books as a kid and I was so in awe of these stories. And when I realized that they were humans telling these stories and that 
I could maybe do that someday. That led me down the path of becoming a writer. Or did I become a writer because I wanted to seek fame and fortune and see my books on the shelves of bookstores? Now, I don't think those two are mutually exclusive, by the way. I think it's totally possible and plausible, and I can actually relate to that, to, to wanting both. You love books, you were inspired as a kid, and you also want to see publication. And hey, if you end up on the bestseller lists, what's wrong with that? Regardless of what your motivation has been or is, I think understanding it is, again, so key for me. It actually feels like a lifelong pursuit to continue to revisit that periodically and try to understand, what is this? What is my connection with this writing. And frankly, some aspects of it are ever-changing. Some aspects of my relationship with writing, my goals with writing tend to change over time. But the one thing that hasn't changed, that I've really figured out, and it's taken me a long time to figure out, the one thing that hasn't changed is that I want to have a conversation with readers. I want to write the kinds of books that enrich readers' lives the way certain books have enriched my own life. So I really encourage you to try to find some clarity because that can be a touchstone. Knowing that can be a touchstone that can get you through a lot. Rejections, feeling down, feeling like you're not spending enough time writing, whatever the struggle might be that's keeping you from getting in that groove. Knowing really and writing it down, having it, you know, tape it to your computer monitor, your bathroom mirror, whatever. Why am I doing this? That can really keep you very grounded. And that can lead us to question four. Am I willing to revise and refine my idea of what it means to be a writer, as well as what I'm willing to do to make that life happen for myself? To find my writing groove, again, I know I'm, I'm, really, I'm really digging into that here, no pun intended. Am I willing to revise and refine? And I talk a little bit about this in episode three as well. I have a lot to say on this topic specifically, but I don't want this episode to go on and on and on. So when you're 20, you're going to have a certain vision probably for your writing. Maybe you're in an MFA program. Maybe you have a writer's group. Maybe you're writing a certain type of thing, certain type of fiction. That, that might be different when you're 30, when you're 40, when you're 50. And are you willing to refine and revise that vision? as life changes, as, as things go along? And are you willing to adapt? I think the more we can practice that, the more we can be honest with ourselves and ask ourselves, am I still where I was with writing two years ago? Or have things evolved? Have things changed? So those are some great questions to ask. And in the next episode, I want to talk about some concrete steps you can take before, during, and after asking these questions. So we're going to do that. And again, these questions are not exhaustive. Obviously, there's so many more different kinds of questions we can ask ourselves to, to really start building that foundation to make sure we have a solid footing to return to when we get knocked on our behinds a little bit, when we get thrown off that horse. And actually, I would love to hear some of the questions you ask yourselves at these times, or maybe have in the past or are currently asking yourself if you're considering getting back into writing after a long hiatus because you really, you really took a spill and it really spooked you. 
I would love to hear those. So feel free to leave a comment on my website. This episode has its own post, as do all my episodes. And the website is NicoleMcInnes.com. You can also find The Groovy Writer on Instagram and on Pinterest at The Groovy Writer. I'm just getting those accounts up and running, but I visit them probably daily, I would say. So if you want to leave a comment, and I look forward to that next episode talking about, okay, we know we want to recommit to the writing. We want to strengthen our resolve with the writing. What can we do to make that happen? What are some concrete steps we can take that get us ready to go full steam ahead with the writing? So thanks for being here. I hope to be back shortly. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Groovy Writer Podcast. You can connect with the podcast on my website at NicoleMcInnes.com and on Instagram at The Groovy Writer. The intro and outro music is Retro by Wayne Jones. Until next time, write on, Groovy Writers. Write on. <laughs>